Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. So I want to open today in Colossians 3. And I'm going to read from the message translation, and it says this. So if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. So this is the verse, this is the verse that we're named after, the resurrection life. So, so if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. There's a, there's a verse in Job chapter 8, 13, that very similar, not quite as verbose. It just says this. Those who forget God have no hope. So that first verse describes, it says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed in just the things in front of you, but look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. We are to keep Christ as our focus. We are to look where he is, because when we don't, when we, when we forget about God, what happens? Rick Warren gave a really good list. Are you ready? This is what happens when we forget about God, when a culture forgets about God, when a group of people forget about God. When we forget about God, wealth is idolized. When we forget about God, truth is minimized. Life is trivialized. And abortion legalized. TV is vulgarized. Ads are sensualized. Everything is sexualized. Conscience is desensitized. Education is secularized. Free markets are monopolized. Races are polarized. Sports are scandalized. Moral and ethics are liberalized. Crime is sensationalized. Immorality is popularized. Sin is glamorized, drugs legitimized, broken families rationalized, courts paralyzed, Christians are demonized, all when God is marginalized. When, when our focus ceases to be on God's impact, we lose hope. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Think about that for the second. Paul says, my prayer for you, my prayer for you, and we've talked about this before. It's interesting how Paul doesn't pray, give him stuff. When we hear Paul talk about I pray, he says things like this, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
He doesn't say, I pray that they'll be rich. He says, I pray that their eyes will be opened, that they would realize the riches of God's inheritance that they already have in their future. The dictionary describes hope as a feeling of expectation, a desire for a certain thing to happen. But when we look in Scripture, hope is more than wishful thinking. Someone said it this way. They said, optimism says, it's not as bad as you think. But hope says, it's bad, but I trust God will show up. I've used the example before. When we're talking about faith and we're talking about hope, a lot of times people have this idea that faith and hope is just wishful thinking. I have a marble here and I hope that this marble will turn into an oak tree. That's wishful thinking. I have nothing to base that on other than just it'd be nice to have an oak tree and all I have is a marble. But if I'm holding an acorn and I say, I hope that this will become an oak tree, how many of you guys look at me differently? I mean, I'm holding something almost identical in size and shape. One is just wishful thinking. The other is trusting that the, the laws and principles that God has put in there, it's recognizing the promise. See, hope is, isn't calling a marble an oak tree. Hope is calling an acorn an oak. That's what faith is. It, it looks at that acorn of God's promise in our life, of what he has said, and then it says, hey, I trust that God is going to keep his word because he gave his word. I trust that God is going to show up in this situation in ways that I don't currently recognize. Hope is such a powerful, powerful thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. How many of you have, have been to a funeral where there was no and then, have you ever also been to a funeral where people knew and understood that the person who had passed away was right with God and that they would see them again in eternity? You, can't, you can barely compare the two. One, as this scripture says, says, do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I, I was thinking about this. I, I may have used this example before, but... I looked up the, the, the year. The first movie I ever saw in the theater was Goonies. How many of you remember the Goonies? Goonies was a Disney film. Um, not that scary. But there was one, you know, character that was, uh, like, disfigured and, and, and a little bit spooky. He ends up being a real nice guy in the end of the, the movie, but it, it scared the kids. And I got to thinking about that. It came out in 1985. I was seven. I had lived in Mexico till I was five. We moved to the U.S. And if I remember correctly, we didn't get a TV in our house until I was eight. So I had watched TV. I had seen television before, but it wasn't something I regularly saw. And we went to see the movie Goonies in the theater with a, a, a friend of my dad's and his kids. 
I got so freaked out, I hid under the chair. Again, it's not even meant to be a scary movie, but I didn't, I didn't understand that most movies end okay. Like, we, we get used to the suspense in movies, but we have hope. How many of you ever looked at a movie and, and seen which character? You know, you know what? They wouldn't have paid that person what that person requires if they were going to die in the first five minutes. I know they're going to be fine. You know, you can look at that and you're just like, no, I know this is going to be okay. I, I, I am confident that this is going to turn out. As a little kid, I didn't, I had no, I had no idea that movies would usually turn out okay. And I was totally caught up. If you've watched movies with a little kid before, sometimes the music starts to get intense and, and you know, the, the, the TV shows a potential negative outcome and the kids totally get all wrapped up in it. And what do you have to do? You have to give them hope. You have to tell them, no, it's, it's going to be okay. They're going to make it out. We as adults have learned to enjoy the suspense because we trust that it's going to turn out all right. But many people live their lives like those kids. When the, when the music changes, they despair. They think that hope is, is somehow false or even inappropriate. 1 Peter 1.13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. This is an interesting sentence. Set your hope. Now, this obviously implies that I have something to do. Hope is not just an emotion that happens to me. I can set my hope. Hope is a positive potential future based not just on wishful thinking, but based on the word of God and on the character of God. Romans 8.24 says, For in this we hope, or excuse me, in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. What does that mean? That means you don't hope for what you already have. Nobody is still hoping to make it to church this morning. Except for you guys maybe that are watching out there. But none of you who are sitting here, you're not hoping. Because it, it's already happened. You're here. We're, we're together. He says, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is an expectation for the future. Faith is is the assurance of that substance and of that thing. And where does that assurance come from? It doesn't come from wishful thinking. It comes from recognizing and trusting in God's word and his promises. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith is the confidence Verse 11 says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was, here it comes, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. This 
is the key phrase. She considered him faithful who made the promise. My hope comes from considering God faithful who made the promise. How do, how do I grow in hope? I titled this message, Be a Hope Dealer. How do I, how do I increase in hope? I need, in order to grow in hope, I have to know or I have to consider him faithful who promised. But what if I don't even know that he promised? If I don't even know he promised, how can I consider him faithful to keep his promise? So many of us are unfamiliar with what God has promised us. We need to know his word to put our face in it. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it out on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you would say God has, has done something in your life? God has started a work. God has started a work. This verse says, He who began a work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He has promised to keep working. Therein lies a hold for us to hope. If he has started a work in us, I've used this example before, but the devil wants to take a snapshot and tell you that's the rest of your future. He said, oh, you know, maybe God started something, but this is as far as he got and this is as far as he's ever going to get. And if things haven't gotten any better than they are today, or if things have gotten to the point where they are today, this is what, this is what you should expect for the rest of your life. Boom. He pulls the, the snapshot of a frustrating life situation moment and says, this, this is what you have to look forward to. But hope looks and says, hey, he who started a work is faithful to complete it in me. I judge he who made a promise to be faithful. How do we grow in hope? Step number one, by increasing the word of God in our life. We can't put hope in what we don't know. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Sorry, I, was, I memorized it in a different translation than what I have written down. I've got to read it. Does not walk in, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. What is it talking about? That's his word. That person, what person? The person who meditates on God's word day and night. That person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. I think about that. What does it look like to, to be constantly rooted in the scripture? Now here in Michigan, every place is wet. You are never far from a, a lake or stream. You, every area gets water. But if you've ever been to a more arid place and you see the difference between the trees that grow in a sandy, dry spot and the one that grows right next to the river, 
right where the water is, and it puts down its roots. And that one is solid. That's the comparison God gives us here. He says, the person who constantly focuses on, meditates on God's word, that person will be firm like a tree. They will yield fruit in season, and their leaf doesn't wither. Psalms 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Again, I want to tell everybody to be hopeful, but that's not just be wishful. Our hope isn't just a wish. Our hope is in his word. What is his word? His word are his promises. His word is what he said he will do. Psalms 119, verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. There are so many promises to us of who he is and who we are in Christ. If if you're watching online, Google verse who I am in Christ and put one in the comments. There's so many of them. There's so many promises that God has given us. If hearing God's word builds faith, then what does listening to negative things do? I I love the example, read it all the time, of David right before he kills Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And then he turned from him toward another. David cut the negativity out of his life. He was on the verge of being used by God. He was about to accomplish something that would launch his, his destiny. And his brother comes, speaks negatively to him, verse 30. Then he turned from him and went to another. Philippians chapter 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Now, we know, I know a lot of people who obey this verse at the beginning. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, stop. Well, it is true. They are laying everybody off at my work. That's true. They said they're going to cut back the workforce. That's true. This situation is going is, is, is daunting. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's true. Can't I just focus on it because it's true? But whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. The Bible gives us so much more than just, is it true? As, as this becomes a habit in your life, you'll speak hope to even difficult situations. When, when I was, I think, 17, there was a, a really big snowstorm. We had snow drifts that were blowing over the road 
I lived in Byron Center out on Homrich Street, and there was, there was a hill. We came by. Uh, at that time, I drove my parents' Ford Bronco, full-sized vehicle, and the snow was like three feet above it in this drift. And they had just cut through, and it was just over the top of the, the car. And my friend was coming over to, to the house. I don't remember what we were. I think we were going snow skiing the next day. It was a Friday night. And we were driving along, and we saw that big old drift. And we said, let's sleep outside. Let's find one of these deep drifts, and let's dig a snow cave. And so I got home, and, and we said, hey, this is what we're going to do. I talked to my mom about it. My mom is, like, insanely adventurous. And she's like, yeah, sure, great. So we went out there, and we dug. We found this deep snow drift, and we dug a cave into there, dug a tunnel, and then widened it out in there. And my buddy and I went there. Now, it had, it had snowed deep. Then it had like freezing rain, a sheet of ice over that, and then it had snowed on top of that and blown all over the place. And so there was like this sheet of ice in certain places, and we found one of those and busted a big chunk of that ice that came with a few inches of snow, and we plugged our door with that, and then we had like a, a little tunnel, like arm-sized tunnel that went up from our snow drift up underneath a pine tree for oxygen. And we, we got inside this little tunnel, and... And I remember, like, we just kept all our snow gear on. The only thing I took off was my boots. And we were wrapped in blankets, and I, like, a, like a taco. And so my buddy and I are, are laying there, and it gets dark early. And so, you know, it's like 8.30 at night, and it's just pitch black, and we're just sitting in this thing. And I remember we had, a, like, a flashlight with us. And I remember I could lay on my back, and I could touch the ceiling. In fact, I drew, like, a, like a Mickey Mouse circles. You know, I remember drawing that on the ceiling, and I could just reach up, and, and we talked for a little bit, and, and if you've ever been in, like, a snow thing, you warm it up. Like, it gets to be, I think it's 50 degrees inside of a snow igloo, and so we talked a bunch, and then we went to sleep, and I remember waking up, and the moonlight is coming through a couple of feet of snow, and I thought, it looks like the ceiling is lower than it used to be. But I'm all like, you know, tucked in, and I thought, it's just my imagination. I mean, I can't see this very well. But I'll double check. I'm going to wake up my buddy, and if he sees it, then it's real. If he doesn't see it, then it's just my imagination. But if I tell him to look for it, then he's going to imagine what I tell him to look for. So I'll just wake him up. If it's really a problem, he'll notice. So I nudge him, and he's like, what? I'm like, um, it's 1230. Okay. He goes back to sleep. I'm like, all right, I'm satisfied. So I went back to sleep. Then woke up later in the morning. Now, if you recall, the ceiling had been here. The entire ceiling was now about at my elbow. Like the whole thing had just begun to come down. And it had, it had snowed a bunch while we were in there. And by the way, we had gone and, and shown my parents where we were at. And that's a good thing because the snow had just covered and erased all tracks of everything. But we wake up and the ceiling is right there. And we're like, whoa! So he goes to the door, which it gets narrow by the door. And what had happened is the night before, we had warmed the whole place up and the sides of the, the place had gotten like really soft and wet. And then it had, it had actually, I think wind chill was 
less than negative 40 that night. It was the coldest night of that year, and I think it was even the coldest night of that decade that we happened to choose to be out there. It was cold, and it had frozen solid. So when he got to the door and went to push, it was just a solid sheet of ice he couldn't get through. And I'm laying over there, and I've, I've put my boots on, and, and, and we had, you know those little hoes that are like handheld? It's like three prongs and then a little hoe on the other end, and you use it for potted plants or whatever. That's what we had dug the tunnel with. And so he's like, what do I do? I'm like, well, grab the hoe and start chipping. And so I'm laying there looking at the ceiling, you know, six inches from my face, and my buddy is at the door. He's breaking on through the, the ice trying to get out. And uh, he says to me, He's just like, oh, my goodness. And I said to him, I said, Clint, do you realize what an amazing story this is going to be? <laughs> and he says to me, how can you think about that at a time like this? I'll tell you how. I had hope. I was full of hope that we could get out. I was confident that we would get out. I don't remember how long it took to get out of there, it was probably less than five minutes of chipping away at the ice to get out. But it felt like a long time. In, in my mind, I trusted that either he's going to dig his way out or we're going to turn over and we're going to break through the ceiling. But one way or another, we're going to get out. So for me, I could think about that. I could think about the future. The situation was tough, but... But I had a hope, a very confident hope, that one way or another, I was going to get out. And so he looks at me, and how can you think about that? That, that is the peace that I imagine when I think about what it looks like to have our hope in Christ. When the situation is wonky, when you thought you were going to push the door open and it's frozen shut, when the ceiling is coming down on you, when, when the, the, the situation just looks bad, for you to be able to say, he who started a work in me is faithful and just to complete it. I know that he has started something in me. He will complete it. God's word ignites hope. God's word gives a vision of the future. It's interesting that when God found people, he would often speak to them a prophetic declaration to bring their perspective in line with his. Think about this. When God spoke to Gideon, who was hiding out, what did he say? Mighty warrior. Why did he do that? He was speaking hope to Gideon. He was, he was trying to get Gideon's perspective to align with his own. He saw Gideon as a mighty warrior, even though that wasn't what, my, what Gideon saw himself as. Remember when he spoke to Mary in Luke 1.28? He says, highly favored of God. When the angel spoke to Mary, the first thing he said was he set her perspective, her expectation on God's, God's view of her his perspective of her. Moses, Moses, when he was called to be a representative before Pharaoh, God comes and speaks to him. And remember, Moses gets in an argument about who's right. 
oh, I can't, I can't make a public speak, speak in public. I stutter. And God says, no. I love the line, who made your mouth? I know who you are. I know what I made you to be. And anything that you lack, I can complete. Over and over, God would speak to people and give them his perspective. He would plant hope in them by describing to them who they are. Look for that. Do The question we have is, or, or the next step, I should say, is believe what God says about you. Believe what God says about you. Look inside. What in you doesn't align with what God says about you? That's already who you are in God's eyes. Let that which is true. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's promises for you, his destiny, that is his will in heaven, and we are to bring earth in line. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Agree with him. Accept it as true. Align yourself with God's word. Adjust what does not align with God. Like what someone said, if the Bible rubs you the wrong way, turn around. Adjust in your life what contradicts. Stop saying negative things about yourself, your life, and your situation. Trust in the truth. We need to agree, we need to align, and we need to appropriate God's truth. We need to have an unshakable self-worth. Not because of what well, we are, because, but because of who Christ is in us. When, when we look at our situation, no matter how it looks on the outside, we recognize, hey, I am God's child. He has made from He has destined things for me. If I will continue to seek Him and put Him first, He will complete that which He started in me. What does it look like to be trusting God and not your situation? When you're in that situation, you're all right. I remember getting hired for, for a job by somebody, um, brilliant fellow, but he had never supervised anyone before. And so they hired me to work with him. And I had a... I don't remember if it was a 30-day or a 60-day review. I had a review coming up. And so, you know, I had been doing everything I knew to do, and I'm trying to, to be, you know, the best employee that I can be, and we sit down at this review. And he pulls out a list of paper, and he starts with the first meeting on the first day that I had been there. And he says, at that first meeting on the first day that you were here, this is what happened, this is what you said, that was wrong, you should have said this. He did it wrong. And then he goes through and lists, you know, whatever it was, 30 days of unmet expectation. Now, the clincher is, he'd never told me. And so he's sitting there, and he, he's, he has decided in advance of this meeting that, you know, having an employee doesn't work out, he's going to let me go. So I'm sitting there in the meeting, and he's going through the list of stuff. And, and he says, you know, I, I don't think it's working out. 
I mean, look at all these things you didn't do right. So I think that we're just going to have to let you go. And I, I said, well, thank you for pointing this stuff out. And, and, I, and I said, I would have really appreciated knowing that day so I could have changed my behavior. And, and so I just said, it would be amazing. You know, if, if you would consider letting me stay, I can take what you've said today and make adjustments. And, and I remember something he said to me. He said, I'm trying to fire you. And you're like, not upset. Why? Because my trust wasn't in him. I believed that God had provided me that job. If that job wasn't going to go through, I was fully confident God would open some other door and was going to provide for my needs some other way. But that gave me the peace to be able to present to him, hey, what if instead of letting me go, we start pointing things out when they go wrong, correcting them, and then things can go the way we wanted them to go. I didn't end up getting fired. But I remember he said, Ike, he goes, I don't understand you. It's like, how? How can you be so confident as you're being fired? And I, I didn't have an answer in that moment, but the answer was my hope was in something that wasn't in flux. My hope and my confidence was in God and knowing that he will provide for my needs. And if it's through this job, then you know what? This next pitch might work. If it's not through this job, that doesn't mean God has quit taking care of me. Something else will come. David and his men went out doing the, their thing. They come back to the city, and it was burned with fire. It's 1 Samuel 33 through 6. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ananiam and the, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of the people was aggrieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Look at that. What happened? When, when situations go sideways, his men were just looking for someone to blame, someone to take their rage out on. That's normal. It's common. It is not productive. If they had succeeded in stoning him, what would they have accomplished? They would have lost their leader. And in all likelihood, without him, they would not have recovered all that they lost. But the Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? He went and got God's perspective. David's men were making their decisions based on their perspective, and the emotions that that brought up. But David went to God, and he asked God for his perspective. First Samuel 30, verse 8, it says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. 
and you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. We look at Psalms and we see David describing things and showing us what he's learned. In Psalms 3, verse 2 through 6, it says, Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. David says, a lot of people tell me this isn't going to turn out right. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though 10,000 assail me on every side. David had learned, even when people say, God isn't going to do this, I know you're a shield around me. I put my faith, my hope, my trust in you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Say that again. He who promised is faithful. Say it again. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. That's what it said in Hebrews 11 about Sarah. See, she judged him who promised to be faithful. Let's hold on to that, knowing. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Who? Those who hope. Where? In the Lord. We are to be full of hope. But our hope is not just wishful thinking. Our hope is rooted, planted, anchored in Christ Jesus. What he has said. What he has promised. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. Think about that again from the perspective of perspective. This is what it's talking about. How, how do I view my situations? For our light and momentary troubles. Now, this is being said by Paul, who has been imprisoned, who has been stoned, left for dead, who, who has been persecuted, run out of town. Our light and momentary troubles. I don't think this is a qualifier to... Now, only those of you who have minor issues. No, he's talking to all of us. He's saying, when we look at things in an eternal perspective, we realize everything we're dealing with is temporary. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Romans chapter 5, 1 through 6. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Where does it all come from? It comes from the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That power, when we were in what looked like a hopeless situation, God provided hope. Going back to Colossians 3, the verse we started with. So, if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which God, Christ provides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things that are right in front of you. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That is where the action is. See things from his perspective. Hope is an adjustment of our perspective. Hope is focusing on God's promises. Ephesians 1.8 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, and I pray this for all of us, would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Let's pray that right now. Dear God, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the hope that you have called us to, that we would see ourselves as you see us, Lord, that we would recognize that your plans and purposes for us are stronger than whatever situation we are facing. Lord, I ask that you give us wisdom to walk forward as we pursue the good works that you have planned for us in advance. Lord, I ask and I recognize that for some of us, our current situation looks so big, looks so dark, looks so permanent. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that they would be enlightened to see your hope, your purpose to recognize that your promises apply and that if we stand in hope and faith on those promises, they will be fulfilled. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, your sins are forgiven, I want to ask you to raise your hand. You have that hope. You know you'll spend eternity with him. 
The Bible says, know that you have salvation. Someone may be listening online or maybe sitting in here looking at that and saying, how do they know? I certainly want to be saved. I want to spend eternity with him, but I don't know it. The Bible says you can know. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? That means simply accepting the gift of forgiveness that God has offered to us. If you desire to do that, if you desire to know, not wish, but know that you are right with God, I invite you with every eye closed just for a moment to raise your hand and we will pray together. I want everyone to repeat after me. Those of you online, I appreciate it if you participate as well. Say, dear God, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. I accept your forgiveness and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 